Hey, what's going on, podcast family? Welcome to the show. Today's episode was an enlightening one for me. We talked about some stuff I didn't really expect to come up and weren't in my uh, prerequisite sort of questions, which is really cool. And I love when podcasts do this. Whenever I speak to guests, I introduce the podcast essentially as being very raw and very real which basically means that I will follow wherever they take us. So I'm the sort of facilitator of of the show and I'm the the shepherd on the the journey of the podcast. So we had some fun today talking with today's guest who I'll introduce in a second. And just a quick reminder that you can also view this podcast and all podcasts over on my YouTube channel. Link is below. It's just Abby Khan in, um, in YouTube if you just type that in especially if you learn visually. I know I'm very much a visual learner rather than an auditory learner. So I like watching podcasts and generally I'll just download them and do my cardio or go for a walk or whatever and listen to the podcast. Um, But if there's certain areas that I'm like, "Mm, that was interesting, I will go back and I will watch that as I'm like, doing the dishes, I'll like prop my phone up on the on the windowsill and, and watch the podcast. I feel I take a lot away from the guests' body language and, and their facial expressions as well. So that's just personal preference. But uh, if you guys learn better through that, then go check it over on YouTube as well. And thank you again for you guys and girls giving me feedback on the show. You guys are loving it, which is awesome. I would, however, if I could request something, some negative feedback, <laughs> constructive feedback, should I say? Like, give me something that I can improve on, whether that is um, just the way I'm capturing audio, whether that is the formatting of the show, whatever it might be, give me something that I could sort of take away and look at and, and look to improve for you guys. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's guest, Mr. Paul O'Need. Paul is a brilliant, brilliant human being, very, very smart, very practical, clinical, in the trenches sort of guy, which I absolutely love. I hate when uh, when I see people, and they won't ever be on this show, but um, throughout social media and the world and, and just preach theories and studies and things that have just worked for them. I hate that shit. Like, I think it's just so, it's so fake in in terms of not being practical for everybody. I like people that have been in the trenches and actually worked with enough people. Like, fair enough to go get a, you get your bachelor's degree or whatever it might be at university, and then you come into the real world practical place and you find that most of the concepts that you've learned don't work the way that you're told. So I like people that have actually been in the trench, trenches for many, many years and actually able to problem solve and think on their feet. I think that's a really, really cool and very crucial skill to have. We talk all about body is your body being your business card, credibility with high-level athletes, the triple threat of coaching, which you will learn about in today's show, how to actually find a coach if you are searching for someone to learn from and to coach you and navigate your own journey. Paul gives us his thoughts and opinions on how to actually find that person or what questions you should be asking yourself. We talk about powerlifting and his journey in powerlifting and how there are two types of powerlifter. We talk about what it's like to be under that bar, under a ridiculous, inhuman about of weight. I think we're talking it was 830 pounds, something of that nature was, was Paul's all-time best. Forgive me if I, um, if I get that exact figure wrong, but 
a stupid amount, far stronger than I am. Um, so we're going to delve into the show. Guys and girls, if you do like the show, please share it over on your Instagram page. Make sure you follow me on Instagram. Again, link is below. And without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Paul O'Need. You're listening to The Abby Khan Show, a podcast that inspires people to achieve what they once believed was impossible. My name's Abby Khan. I'm an actor, health and fitness coach, and it is my mission to connect with interesting people, share their stories, find out how they optimize their lives for success, and how you can do the same. Paul O'Need, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Man, we're going to have a really cool, interesting chat today, and I can't wait to get into that. But before I do, can you just give people a quick background highlight story of who you are and what you do? Uh, so my name is Paul O'Need. I am a strength coach and functional rehabilitation specialist here in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Um, I own and operate Master Athletic Performance, which is an online consulting coaching business for nutrition and training. I'm also the co-founder of Coaches Corner University with Tony Montgomery, where we do education and, uh, I guess, networking for coaches, personal trainers, and practitioners. I also am the co-founder of One Life Inc. and the creator of the MetroLife app. Uh, and I work as an insurance, or I work for an insurance company up here doing disability rehabilitation. What, um, what got you into the spot? uh powerlifting sort of in general was it a natural occurrence through like I, I don't know how it is there in Canada but like high school and everything or was it more of you went into gridiron that sort of stuff first yeah so I actually uh I started playing sports when I was growing up I played pretty much everything but found my way into basketball which is kind of funny because I'm a five nine white guy um <laughs> And then I played until my first year of university and then switched over to football, played for a couple of years, had a knee surgery. Through that time, I was studying human kinetics. And um, during the rehab for my knee surgery is when I started falling in love with like human movement, rehabilitation science, strength and conditioning. And I really dove into that and, and wanted to be a strength coach. That's where I wanted to take my profession. So I was, I was training very hard, but mostly still training like an athlete. Uh, had kind of a penchant for strength. Like it was always just a stronger guy. Um, and then when I moved, I moved to Florida, to the University of South Florida, to work with Ron McKeefery, who at the time was the NCAA Strength Coach of the Year. And about halfway through my internship, he came up to me and he was like, he's like, you realize they don't listen to you, right? And I said, yeah, but I just thought that was how it is. And he's like, no you have a lot to offer, but they're not listening to you. And I was like, why? And he said, because they don't think that you have anything to offer. You're a white kid from Canada who never played college football. Why would an NFL destined kid want to listen to you? And I said, okay, that's really harsh. What do you suggest? And he said, well, I would suggest you find something and compete in it and get really good at it. And I said, okay. I like powerlifting. I'm pretty strong. I'm going to try that. So I started, I told everyone that I registered and they saw me training for it. And it was almost an immediate switch in credibility for the athletes that I started working with. It was a key to establishing rapport because they saw me working as hard as I expected them to work. And it so ended up that I was pretty good at powerlifting. Within two meets, I totaled 
uh, elite at the time. So my first meet, I totaled 1530-something uh, at two 220. And then my second meet, I totaled elite, which was 1555. Then my next meet, I totaled 1645 and qualified for Raw Unity, which at the time was one of the biggest meets in the world for a raw powerlifting. I competed there, uh, then went on a couple, I think two more years after that, I hit my biggest total of 1930 at 220. Uh, and then my biggest total to date is 1960 at 242. And at, at a time, about, about four years ago, I was ranked in the top 20 all time at 220 and 242 in the squat and the total. So that was a long time ago. And since then, I uh, battled a few injuries here and there, had a knee surgery, um, another knee surgery on the other knee, and uh, kind of rebuilding back to that. I was supposed to compete in February, but unfortunately, because of the COVID restrictions, I wasn't able to travel. So looking to compete likely in the summer or in the fall and, you know, still still pushing it, still seeing what I can do. My training looks a lot different now than it used to with all the uh, accumulated injuries. I'm, like, I'm 33 years old, but I've been lifting weights for 15 years. So there's a lot of miles on my tires. Yeah, I, you said something really interesting. There was the, what I want to go back to is the credibility sure. or the rapport with, with athletes. And yeah. that's really interesting, especially looking from a coaching perspective, when mm -hmm. I guess most people, myself including, get into coaching, were like, I want to coach athletes. Who's the best of the best? The LeBron James, I want to coach that person. Which never happens, right? First first thing off the that's bat. That's also easy. Mm. Yeah, because like, they're already good. How do, you co how do you coach LeBron James? Do you show up and you make sure he doesn't hurt himself? Yeah, injury prevention, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. he'll take care of the rest. He's already a phenomenal mm -hmm. athlete. Just make sure he doesn't fuck anything up and he'll be all right. Exactly. Um, so when we're looking at that, that credibility, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts with people coaching athletes, younger athletes that are destined potentially for the NFL. Do you think that's almost a prerequisite from the athlete's perspective of like, okay, why am I listening to this dude? Do you think they need to have ha either had an insane level of education or a very competitive sporting career in some facet? So... Okay, so we're talking about two different populations, but the, the same outcome. So I'm a big believer that your body is your business card. So I'm not gonna go get financial advice from a homeless person. I'm not gonna go learn how to be lean from someone who's fat. I'm not gonna, you know, like all of these things line up. So in that same breath, if I'm a 17, 18 year old kid, I've grown up in a low socioeconomic status environment, I'm now at a university and my goal is to make a living for my family. Why would I listen to someone who hasn't been where I want to go or hasn't taken someone to where I want to go? So they are looking for clues. They're looking for credibility. They're looking for trust. In a lot of these instances as well, and, and this might might be an overgeneralization, but it was something that I was exposed to and something that I didn't really see when I was here in Canada was a lot of these kids, and they are kids, they're, they're 17 years old. They didn't have a father in the home. So trusting a man is a very hard thing to do. And as a coach, creating rapport and trust with them is very challenging. And that might've been just the population I was working with in South Florida but it bears mentioning. So the more credibility and trust 
they like the more credibility I could build, the more social credit I had, the more they saw me as a person who could help them. It also allowed me, it allowed me to empathize with them, right? Because if I'm asking you to do these squats or do these benches or run these tests, how am I supposed to know what you're feeling when you give me feedback if I've never done them before? So that, that element of empathy is huge. Now, when you're dealing with a, an athlete or a gen, like powerlifting athlete, or even a gen pop client who wants to compete in powerlifting or wants to lean up with nutrition, they want to know that you can get them to where they want to go because you've been there. I often talk about uh, like the, the triple threat of a coach. They need to have education. They need to have experience and they need to have evidence. So they need to be educated in the human body and how to coach people. They need to have experience coaching people and training themselves, and they need to show success. They need to have evidence. And if you can do all three of those, in my opinion, you're a complete coach and you should have no problem with credibility. I love that. And it's interesting, I guess, in a world of, let's say, social media, how like the, I guess, the prerequisite to a coach is now, you know, just looking good. And some mm-hmm. some of these coaches um, do what, for what it appears, build relatively successful businesses just from the way they sort of look, even though they may not necessarily have the experience or at least the educational evidence. So how do you think? think or advise people should look to find that coach to find the person that's like okay regardless if they look you know like they're two weeks out from a bodybuilding show what do people Mm -hmm. need to look for to get the the right coach i guess well you're gonna want someone who provides the service that you're looking for if you're just looking for someone to write a program for you and leave you alone to me that's not a coach if you're looking for a coach you're looking for someone who communicates with you in a way that you understand someone who is empathetic, someone who has a good knowledge base of the human body and can answer any and all of your questions with more than a, it depends or because I said so, right? The other thing is, are you getting a cookie cutter plan or are you getting something that's tailored for your needs? And an easy way to know if you're getting one of those plans is if they're unwilling to change it or if they send you multiple weeks at a time. So if you're getting a plan that's like 10 weeks, but you've only talked to the person once you're getting a cookie cutter program. So it's, it's about, it's about looking for the signs, looking for someone you can create a rapport with and have a relationship with because there, there is an element of trust. And especially when you're dealing with nutrition, you want a gateway into someone's psychological state, make them hungry. Mm. Make them hungry. I, people implode when they're hungry. And as a co- if you have a good coach, they're going to be able to explain to you what's happening, why you feel the way you feel, and how to mitigate these results. If you're not able to communicate with your coach and say they have a cap on like, oh, you can talk to me three times a week. That's not a coach you want to work with. Mm. Right. The coaching relationship is dynamic. So like from a, from an outside perspective, you look for the three E's 
And then once you engage in, in communication with that coach, it's looking for someone who really, really uh, kind of molds with your personality and is able to answer your questions in a way that you feel comfortable. Yeah, and I think it's um, on both, I guess, parties from the client's perspective is don't be afraid to ask questions. You need oh, that, that level yeah. of like, I need to know if this guy or girl knows what the hell they're doing because I'm about to invest a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of hurt <laughs> being hungry. And health. And yeah. health, right? Mm. Like the amount of risk that you're taking, you're handing over your health to this person, right? So that that's a really, really big investment. And it's one it's one that I don't advise people take lightly. The um the de- not the debate, I guess the 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 wording of uh, it, it depends is an interesting one. Like I'm not completely against it, but it needs context, right? It's like it depends oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. then blah 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 blah, you know. So it, so the, the that's probably my biggest pet peeve of like especially the evidence-based crowd. It's like, oh it depends on context. Okay, what context? Mm. Mm. Right? Like, give me something. Yeah. Right? It depends on scenario A, scenario B, scenario C. Here's where it's going to go. Let's elaborate on this problem. Let's give you some information. Maybe, hey, what's the context? Can you give me more information to give you a better answer? Not, uh, it depends. Mm. Right? Don't, don't leave it open-ended. Um, that's one thing I really enjoy about our podcast is, is we do Q&As, but the Q&As are more so to provoke people to continue asking better questions, right? So so you ask us a question, we give you our opinions, but we also provide alternate scenarios, alternate things that you need to look at or engage with to then ask more specific questions. If you're really trying to look at the best way to approach things, that best way is so dependent on time, context, um, you know, situation, and the best solution today might not be the best solution tomorrow, even for the same person. Mm. What worked for you last week might not work for you next week. So it's really important to understand the, the global context to which you're talking, and then you can give a more specific answer. Yeah, I, I love that. I guess the, the quality of the answer depends on the quality of the question. I love what you boys are, are That's doing. That's true too, yeah. Yeah, is that, that you're provoking thought process. I think we're, we're very lazy in today's day. And it's like, I'm going to ask one thing. I want you to give me everything in one word because I'm lazy as fuck and I don't want to do my own education <laughs> and I don't want to spend time figuring this out. And we're just like, well, no, yeah, that's exactly. not the way. You need to understand basic principles, basic fundamentals. So you can ask better questions. You can learn more. Because once, as you probably know yourself, is that once you understand it, you're more likely to win apply it and that's the sort of key there the actual application of whatever the the knowledge is well it's that dunning-kruger effect right the less you know the more you think you know everything and the more knowledge you unlock the more you realize you know nothing Mm. and it's like i want to work with the type of people that continue to ask questions and continue to dig deeper because the more you dig the more you learn and the more you learn the more you unlock the more doors you can open Mm. the idea of being an evidence-based practitioner is great but it can't stop at the research, right? The research is your jump off point. It provides you with a starting point. And then based on the the outcomes with your client, your N equals one sample size, then you can make your, your decisions either way. And then if you're having outcomes that you don't really understand, you go back to the research and see if it backs it. If it does, great. 
and then you have a validation for it. If it doesn't, maybe you're dealing with an outlier because the reality is most people are outliers. Whenever you look at research, they present the mean. Well, if it's the mean, then there's people on one side or the other. Like I remember I was reading a birth control study and in, in one birth control, someone lost 20 pounds and someone gained 30. That's 50 pounds difference, right? So understanding there's a little bit of nuance involved here. Yeah, I um, I was uh, actually speaking with um, a friend earlier this morning and uh, he's not uh, in the in the health and fitness industry, but he'd heard about something. It was a, a company in the US looking at sort of genome and phenotypes and from a nutritional perspective, trying to figure that that sort of whole thing out. And he never really heard of it before. And I, I basically said, uh, from my experience, he's like, this has been tried before, but what it discounts is the behavior of the person, the psychological attachment to food of the person there, as you said there, putting somebody hungry and seeing what actually happens in there and you'll figure out their biggest sort of weaknesses. This this um, thing that he showed me didn't take all these aspects into account, you know, their feelings towards food. If their genotype said they should be on a very low carbohydrate, moderate fat, moderate protein diet, but they've been fed McDonald's every single day when they were a kid, then they're going to be more likely to choose this very high carb, high fat focused diet. Um, so it discounts a lot of those sort of practical, I guess, applications of what's actually happened in this person's past to dictate what they're doing today. It's one of the bigger faults I see in the industry is that like the fancy stuff is what gets the attention, but it's the big rocks that make the difference, right? So you want to talk about genotypes and phenotypes as it relates to nutrition. That's great. And I'm sure it has valid, like it's valid, but the only thing that matters with nutrition is adherence. The only thing that matters is adherence. So the plan that you follow is the plan that's best for you. And when we look at this person, it's like that is that genotype phenotype consideration for diet is a grain of sand. Whereas sleep is a big rock. Calories is a big rock. Stress management is a big rock. Protein is a big rock. Then you get into the little rocks of protein, carbs, fats, or sorry, carbs and fats because protein is a big rock. Then you get into, you know, exercise, non-exercise physical activity, um, sleep hygiene, all, all of these things that are littler rocks. Then once you have all that sorted out, maybe you start looking at sand. Yeah. I like that analogy. I've never heard of it before. And it's true. Like people are looking for these tiny little nuances to fix you. Like, why don't you just take care of the big picture? Cause that will filter down and take care of most of the shit that you're trying to figure out. Like that. I actually just had this conversation with a friend of mine and, uh, I, I get it all the time. It's like, Hey, uh, you know, I think I need to rest more or like, I think, I think my recovery isn't as good. I was like, okay, what makes you think that? Well, you know, I'm always, I'm not really making any progress. And I was like, okay, have you tried training harder? <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, have you, have you tried working really, really hard? Because until you've tried, usually when you train really, really hard, you will absolutely know when you need a rest day. Mm. You will absolutely know that you're hungry. You'll absolutely know if you're recovering well. If you train really, really hard, most of the other stuff squares itself away. Yeah. Yeah. You'll want to sleep more. You'll want to eat more. You know, so people are always looking for this excuse to do less. It's like, it's like, hey, uh, I want to, 
I want to lean out. Like, what fat burner should I use? I'm like, I don't know. Have you tried food? Yeah. <laughs> the put the cookie down fat burner. That'd help. Yeah, exactly. Like, there there are very very simple answers to very very complex huge questions, mm. but people don't want to look at the mirror and say, "I'm not doing the appropriate things. I'm not doing enough." They want to offload that that responsibility. Mm. They have no, they want to, they don't want to take accountability for things. In and I'm speaking in generalities, but there are there are those clients who do all the right things and still struggle to achieve their goals. Those are, to be honest, those are the clients that I really like working with because when you get when you unlock those wins, they're that much bigger because they've worked so hard towards them. But they've also they're also the clients who usually put trust in someone who said they could help and they couldn't mm. so yeah that i um shot a podcast a little while ago and discussing with a, another personal trainer and i basically said that that training hard is genuinely a skill set that you have to learn it doesn't just come naturally to some people you have to really really work in and as you said like you know when you've trained too hard like you know your mm -hmm. body will let you know very 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 quickly and it's not a question it's very definitive right it's not a maybe yeah. i need to have a rest day. it's like no i'm fucked like <laughs> i need to yeah. go take some time off exactly yeah. um i wanted to um get a little bit into the education in the uh, in the health and fitness industry. I don't know how it is where you are, but we were discussing before the podcast how the sort of barrier to entry, especially here in, in Australia, I know in the UK, as I, I got my certifications in the UK, were very, very low. The, the, um, the education and the, I guess, the practicality was at sort of a very, very low level, so much that I see a lot of personal trainers coming into the industry recently and still not really being comfortable with what they're doing still not really being comfortable with i've got a client on there we're like well what am i meant to do now i'm like well you should know this because we're the first line of defense after the doctor says hey you need to go see help they come to the gym they sign up at the gym and then they come and see us so we need to be very 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 switched on so i'd love to know where you think the education is now and then also what we need to be doing to improve that and how can we do that so when i came up as a coach like I was in the collegiate coaching field so you you had to have a master's degree if you wanted a full-time job mm. so I have two and like so my first master's degree is in exercise science my second master's degree is in sports management that provided me with a fantastic framework from which to look at problems but without the hands-on experience of both training myself and training clients I wouldn't know how to put two and two together. So there's a really big gap in the industry between this, we'll call it textbook knowledge and the N equals one sample size of a person in front of you. Having the con, like, then you look at, well, do you have the soft skills to communicate information appropriately to this person in a way they can understand? Like, I see it all too often. Uh, I want you to externally rotate your humerus what um but like all jokes aside there is a very there is a gap in the industry between the knowledge and the person so if we can find ways to bridge those gaps and there's a lot of really great certifications and workshops that have come out you know i, I think of prescript with jordan shallow um who's a good friend of mine i think of chris duffin's kabuki strength um even stuff like dns or uh 
like FRC, PRI, they all have like interesting frameworks from which to look at problems, but none of them actually replace an experience. So my best, my biggest piece of advice for trainers that are coming up in the industry is to work for free for a little bit, volunteer your time. My first job in strength and conditioning, I was working about 10 hours a day in a weight room. And part of my 10 hours a day was twice a day. We had to sweep and mop this 12,000 square foot weight room and make shakes for like 120 football players twice. I did all that for free just so I could coach. Now you have people who do their first meet or do a weekend course and then want to charge hundred dollars an hour. In my opinion, you haven't fulfilled your three E's yet. And the easiest way to fulfill those three E's is to work for free, shadow someone, mentor under someone. And that's something that I've started to do is take on more mentorship clients where I'll actually just, I will coach them in nutrition and training. And then we have a one hour Skype call every week to talk about business. And we run through case studies. We run through, you know, things they encounter on a weekly basis in their own businesses. And it's been really fulfilling for me. And that's part of the impetus for starting coaches corner was to try and bridge the gap between education and the person in front of you. So we present these evidence-based um, principles, whether it be through programming, nutrition, biomechanics, um, psychology, business, and then we translate it into concepts related to the person and how we would apply them. So that's where I see education going. And these type, types of things are very popular in bodybuilding. You have sites like Mountain Dog Training or Trained by JP that, that are fantastic at communicating information. The problem is that's a very niche crowd. No one, no one's really looking at that personal trainer who is going to work with a wide variety of people. And that's kind of where we want to fit in. That's where, that's where we see the education going. So Tony and I both have post-grad educations and I really feel that that the education piece is really important, but without the experience, it's nothing. Like if you can't apply the education, you can't communicate it to the person, you're not going to help them get anywhere. And that's, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to provide a service, right? Yeah. Um, we, we had, um, Jordan, um, Jordan Shallow and John Meadows both on the show and, and just, just hearing them talk about, um, their experiences actually coaching people was, was brilliant. It was a breath of fresh air because they both spent a lot of time in the actual trenches. Not this theoretical stuff, reading tons of studies, being a university and stuff, not this, you know, fancy degree. It was like, no, we've we've actually been there and done this for such a long time that understanding that every single individual is so different that you need to have a yep. really, really good base level knowledge. Yes, the theory the theory is important, but you need to know how to apply that. And as you said before, is is communicate with that with every single person. You know, because you're going to get exactly. people. I mean, I can I can speak of one client who, um, he's a gastrointestinal surgeon, and mm -hmm. very very um, very very intelligent, very sort of like type A dominant personality, and it was just such a challenge to be able to communicate with this person initially, but being able to adapt and communicate things effectively, 
built a, tr a trust and a level of respect with this person. And now I'm like, go do this. He's like, absolutely. And he's one of the be my best clients purely because you bu I built that rapport and relationship with him enough by having that experience. Um, and, I, and I think that's where a lot of people do go wrong. And, and you might agree with this is that I guess we're still looking for the easy way out. It's like, oh, cool. Well, tell me the answer. Let me go do the weekend course. And then let me go and train people now. I think it comes down to a necessity like are you are you income oriented or are you output oriented right so that trainer who's going to go get a certification and then start asking for money versus the person who gets their education gets their certification works for free puts in the time to put out good information and and put out a good product and put out a good service and is very output oriented. That person is going to get more in return because output drives input. If you're always trying to get the input and you're not willing to work on improving your output, you're not going to be sustainable long-term in this industry because people will pass you by. You are your business card. You, the service you provide is what people are paying for. And if you can't back it up, you're just not going to have clients. Hmm. Right? Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I get, I get, I guess the, the cool thing is about what you guys are doing, obviously what, uh, what uh, Jordan's doing and, and John is that, that, that social media has given us such a cool platform to be able to find incredible content and incredible amounts of value that people that are very intelligent, very experienced hitting those three E's are actually putting out. It just takes enough work to, to filter out the bullshit and figure out that these people are actually legit and know what they're talking about. Yeah. And there's, there's a few different kinds of people on, on, on the internet, right? There's like content creators, there's educators, and then there's like snake oil salesmen, mm. right? So the content creator is going to be someone who just, pumps out content just for the sake of it. Maybe they have a product to sell, but they're usually very biased. Then you have the educator who has a more nuanced view of things, can play both sides of the fence, but unfortunately it's not sexy, right? So you kind of, as a consumer, you have to look at, where does this person stand to make their money? Are they standing on this mountaintop yelling about something that is black and white? Or are they presenting a nuanced viewpoint on a subject? Because if that person who's black and white gets challenged, even if they're proven wrong, they have to double down. Because if they, get, if they don't double down and they change their, their tune, they lose money. They lose all their credibility because they've centered themselves on that one tenant. Whereas the evidence-based educator, the practitioner who can play both sides, they're going to be able to change their viewpoints back and forth with the tides of the research. They're going to be able to look at the industry and find out what they need and what they want. More like, more like water, like they'll flow with the industry and be able to adapt their approach. That's what you should strive to be. It's unfortunate that that first person, that black and white person, is the one who's probably going to make the most money because they're loudest. People don't want to say, 
carnivore is a great tool under these circumstances. They want to hear, do the carnivore diet, lose weight fast. Both of those things. You will lose weight fast if you do the carnivore diet. But for how long, under what circumstances, the blah, 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 blah. Right? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, dynamic. But I, I feel even over the last sort of two, three years that things are starting to take a positive change. People's bullshit detectors are better than that what they what they used to be. And they're getting up here, yeah. Eventually this will this will pan out the way it's supposed to be. Um, and obviously with people I, like you doing the right thing, it it will get there. I, I think COVID helped, to be honest. Uh, okay. I think the people that didn't have a lot of a lot to offer kind of fizzled away, right? Because people were looking for help. And if you didn't have some way to help them in a concrete, sustainable manner, mm. You weren't going to make your money. Yeah. And, um, and like when it comes to myself and my businesses, I, I operate from a very abundance mindset. Like I can very easily be really frustrated that these guys are making so much money on their shit products and putting out terrible information. But the reality is, is if I continue to put out good information, continue to conduct myself in a way that keeps my integrity intact and I'm proud of the service that I'm providing. It's just going to bring more people into the industry, right? The, the industry grows and then other like-minded people who are, whom I associate with are doing the same things. You know, uh, what's the, you know, big waves raise, raise all ships, yes. right? So we're all going to come up together. There's never going to be a shortage of money. There's never going to be a shortage of people to work with as long as you keep doing the right things by yourself. Mm. I think that word there is, is crucial, having that integrity and knowing that what you're doing yeah. is gonna have this long-term impact on the, the, I guess, benefit and the betterness of, of humanity in general. Of course. Yeah. I would love to, to go into and back to the, the powerlifting in general. I'll talk a little bit about mental resilience. Powerlifting is not something I've personally done, but I do love lifting heavy as hell or as heavy as I possibly can. And everyone loves feeling strong, right? What, what does it take for someone to be able to, to, to pursue a career like powerlifting and go from, let's say, having a 600 pound back squat into a 700, into an 800 and just keep putting and loading more and more and more weight and feel like your body is crumbling beneath you, but continuing to do that. What does that mental sort of capacity look like and how i mean how do you build that is it inherent like you have to be born with it or can you nurture that and build that from somewhere so there is i would say two predominating mindsets that, that will you will see in powerlifting you will see the person who is fueled by i don't want to say self-hate but like a more more of a negative headspace and I've been that person. I was like, I'm not good enough. I need to continue to be better. I need to continue to do more. The problem with that mindset is it ended me up with a torn quad, two torn pecs, knee surgery, and you know, having to rebuild from scratch. I got really strong really fast, but it wasn't sustainable. Then you have the person who looks at powerlifting as a means for continual personal progression. They approach it as, I love myself and therefore I'm trying to be the best version of me. That person takes their time. They listen to their body. They have an intelligent approach. 
and they're more methodical. They usually last longer. That's the type of lifter I am right now. So it's the type of lifter who's focused on the outcome versus the type of lifter who's focused on the process, mm. right? That process orientation is where you're going to have the, your best results and the most long-term results. Now, the ability to continue to push your lifts, you do have to have a little bit of a screw loose. Mm. Like I, I, when I'm under the bar with all the injuries that I've had, I can honestly tell you that every time I squat, whether it's the bar or 800 pounds, I'm afraid to bend my knees. Absolutely. I'm afraid that that one knee bend is going to be the last one I do. But although I might feel like I'm dying when I'm sitting in the hole, when I'm sitting in the hole with 800 pounds, when I stand up, I've never felt more alive. And that's why I keep adding weight to the bar. Wow. That, that's as crazy. It sounds really fucking inspiring. <laughs> well, thank you. It's, uh, I've never heard it put I, like that. I like, there is something so personally empowering about just the imagery of having weight on your back, sitting down and standing up, mm. right? Just knowing that nothing can keep you down. Mm. And I've learned more under the bar than I have in any self-help book, any education I've done, any life experience. I've learned more under a barbell about myself. And I used to use the barbell as this means to, to tear myself down. It's like, you know, you're not good enough. You're, you need to be better. This is, you know, this is how you will develop self-worth. And it was through a lot of growing up that I realized that the bar wasn't tearing me down. It was building me up and I needed to pay a lot more respect to that bar. And now one thing I try to teach all my clients is that the lessons you learn under that bar are the same lessons that will carry over into your day-to-day -day life and your success. Like my relentless attitude under a barbell is also the reason why I've been able to work full time, start three different businesses and get to a point where now I'm actually resigned my full-time position last week and I'm going full-time self-employed as of a month from now. But it's because of what I learned under the bar that I was able to do that and take that next step. It's why I was able to be successful as a strength coach, even though I no longer decided to pursue that career. It's why I was able to, you know, do everything that I've been able to do. And it's why I will be able to be successful in powerlifting again, despite the fall the setbacks. Like I'm not going to be competing against the best in the world. I'll be competing against the best in the world, but I won't be beating them. Like I'm not willing to make those same health sacrifices that I once was, but I'm doing it from a place of as corny as it sounds. I'm doing it from a place of self-love, right? That this is my chosen path. This is my chosen tool to build the life I want to live. Yeah. Um, I, I love what you said there. Firstly, congrats on being able to go complete full time in self employment. Oh, that's, that's yeah, I'm pretty a, excited. It's a great achievement. I, uh, I put it off for quite a bit. My my business actually grew quite well during COVID. I probably could have uh, quit a long time ago, but I went through a little bit of a life transition last year. Um, I went through a divorce and moved across the country back to my hometown. And uh, but since then, you know, bought a house, set up my business here. 
and uh, it's been you know pretty incredible. So now that I'm a little bit more stable financially, I was like, you know what? I need to stop putting this off. I do so much for others. I need to bet on myself for once. And I think as, you know, again, as corny as it sounds, a bet on me is a bet I'll take 10 times out of 10. Mm. What I am, what I also love about uh, what you said is that, that the learning from being under the bar. And this is why I say to, to all my clients and anyone that has a health and fitness goal is like pursue it with, with just relentless intensity do it with everything Absolutely. that you've got because it will have significant carryovers to every other area of your life and it's just such a powerful process i think to to be able to be a practitioner and just go and do that i think that that lesson in itself that relentless pursuit if you're able to give yourself to your endeavors it will return to you 10x the problem is, is most people are afraid to fail. Most people are afraid to give everything that they have to something and fall short because what that means is they weren't good enough. But if you're not good enough, that means you can get better, right? You can put in more time. You can put in more work. You can adjust your approach. You can work a little smarter and hard, like smarter. And then you come back and you try it again. Or you realize that maybe this isn't for me anymore and I need to try something else. Your effort, your end result of something is not your self-worth. It is not a reflection of you and who you are. It's simply what you put your effort into, what you weren't able to achieve it. End of story, right? It doesn't make you less of a person. In fact, in my eyes, it makes you more of a person because you took a fucking chance the ability to fully and wholeheartedly invest yourself into something, man, I have so much respect for people who do that. Yeah. And um, I think even for people that, that try it, and it's something I've used with a few clients that, that needed the help is, is that let's, let's sit down, let's visualize that outcome. Like if you failed and everything went to complete shit and you didn't yeah. achieve that goal, what would be the worst thing that would happen? Like you wouldn't die, like you'd be okay. You'd still have your job. You'd still have, you know, your family, yeah. you still have your kids. But what would be on the other side of that? You know, what would be the, the greatest thing that could happen? I would feel this uh, level of self-worth, even though I didn't uh, complete it. I tried, you know, that, that my kids would be proud of me, that my family would be proud of me, that my partner would, would love me, you know, like whatever the, the, the outcome could be. Just think of like those, those insane amounts of positives that could happen. Imagine a situation in which you put everything into something, you succeed, and you still don't feel good enough. Mm. Yeah. Right? So then that's where that negative mindset kicks in. Mm. So I like to look at life. Like, I have, I have very much this... I have two personalities. I have this very hard-driving, unrelenting personality that is go, go, go all the time. And I also have this much softer side to me that is very empathetic. It's very kind. It's, it feels very deeply. That hard driving relentless person is what has allowed me to get to where I am in business, in, in lifting, in coaching and everything. But it's that other side of me that has allowed me to form relationships with people 
empathize with people and communicate the information in a way that they take home. So they're both valuable. Where the balance comes into play is, are you familiar with the myth of Sisyphus? I'm not enough to talk about. I've heard of it though, okay. if that helps. So it's, it's, Sisyphus was uh, punished by the gods to push a rock up a hill. And every time he got to the top of the hill, the rock would roll down. So for eternity, he pushed a rock up a hill, never being able to reach the top. And you know, I learned this from a very close friend of mine named Jay Nira. And he, he put me on to a French philosopher named Albert Camus, who theorized that you have to imagine Sisyphus smiling because he has something with purpose. He has a purpose. And that purpose is to push the rock up the hill. So if you pursue something and you reach your goal, you need to realize that the next goal is right there. You take your victory but know that you still are pursuing this perpetual evolution, this perpetual growth. It never stops. You need to smile as you push that rock up the hill. You need to smile as you load that extra five pounds on the bar, right? You need to smile as you resign from your job and realize that, hey, I got to this point where I can resign from my job. Now it's time to keep going and building, right? So balancing that drive hard to the goal and then enjoy it while it's there. Drive hard to the next goal, sit back and enjoy it. <clears throat> Being so process oriented and finding finding happiness within that pursuit. That's you know, that's the goal. There is no there, right? We're never gonna get there. Yeah. I lo- I love that it's sort of like this weird Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type pursuit of like oh, for be sure. this absolute savage, but then love while you're there. Yeah, like I am, like not to like toot my own horn, but like there's very few people who treat like in my in my group of people, there there's always a lot of surprise when they they see me train because I don't I don't let that part out of me very often. I'm very quiet, quite reserved. Um, people might think I'm I'm a little bit cold, mm. but I feel very deeply. I um, I care a lot but that has no place under a barbell Mm. right so Mm. that flip that switch has to get flipped and i have this routine that i go through every time i i I get under a heavy bar like something that i would consider heavy something where i have to concentrate really hard Mm. um where i take all my breath into my belly like if i'm like bracing under the load before i like i put my hands on the bar and i take that breath into my belly and i brace and then i kind of let it out all out at once and it kind of sounds like I'm barking, but I'm not. <laughs> but <laughs> everyone just makes fun of me because it sounds like I'm barking. Um, and that's that's me flipping the switch. Mm. That's me like, all right, nothing else is going on now except me and this barbell mm. or me and these dumbbells or me and this set. Right? And so, like, I think if you're able to find that balance point. And as soon as I put the bar down, I'm done. Like, right, like, it, it's it's back off. It's, right. it's like you're the uh, you're the living embodiment of the it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a oh wall. Oh my god, yes. You know? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I think that's important. I was actually I was listening to um Jordan Peterson speak a little bit about this the other day. And I think it's just so important for people to know that, you know, just because you are a, a driven person that you have 
passion and purpose and goals. You don't have to be an asshole along the way. Um, but you can still have those. You can still do that. And it's just it's the way you carry yourself and, and uh, I guess, act that out on a, on a day-to-day sort of basis. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that that kindness and that and that that love and appreciation. I would love to know how you practice that on a on a day to day basis. I want to go into I guess morning routines, nighttime routines, things of that nature. What does sure. the first sort of I don't know one to two hours of your morning look like, and how are you preparing that day for success? So I was like. I never really had a routine. My routine was to wake up, grab a coffee and start working Mm. um, immediately. Uh, And that was till about running on two years now, but two years ago, Um, it was when I had just moved across the country with my ex-wife. We were having problems. It was the first time I had ever experienced anxiety. It was the first time I had ever had an anxiety attack. And I was like, okay, something is out of whack here. I need to figure out what's going on. I ended up seeking counseling and I'm, I'm very open about this with people who ask that like I continue to seek counseling every week or two and I have for the last two years and it's been the best decision I've ever made in my life. But part of that was I started to look at how I can ground myself first thing in the morning on the things that are most important to me. And so I developed this routine that that's kind of whittled its way down. It used to be about two hours long <laughs> of like, self-work where I would, I would wake up, I would make my coffee while I was making my coffee. I would let the dogs outside to the backyard. I would let them back in. I would sit at my desk or I I would sit at the kitchen table at this time because my desk was in the basement. It was super, super depressing. Mm. Um, I would sit at the kitchen table and I would read 10 pages of my book, whatever it was at least 10 pages, but I had a timer set for 20 minutes. So if I wasn't into it, I would just read 10 pages minimum. And the timer would go off and I would start journaling. And at first I had no idea what I was supposed to be journaling about. I had no idea how to journal. I didn't even have an idea of how to check in with myself. So I started off with five questions. It was, what did I do yesterday? What am I doing today? What is stressing me out right now? What can I do immediately to address that stress? And what are five things that I'm grateful for? So those five questions I ask myself every morning and I would actually sit there and journal for about 45 minutes and I wouldn't, I didn't write it. I didn't write it out. I would just start typing. I would turn off spell check and I would just start typing and the amount of introspection that started flowing out of me after a while, like the first few days was kind of weird. I was like, dear diary, you know? (laughs) Um, But it was, it was like 45 minutes of just talking about what I'm feeling things that were going on with my life, with my ex-wife, things, you know, anything I wanted to talk about, I just put it in there. And, and then after I was done, done doing that, I would go for a walk. I would get outside. And I lived in Calgary, Alberta, where it actually gets down to like probably minus 45 Celsius some days, but I would walk every day regardless, at least 10 minutes. And it was, it'd be so cold. My dogs wouldn't even go for a walk. And, uh, so I would walk and then I would come inside. I would eat my breakfast, read a little bit more while I was eating. And then I would go downstairs and start my day. And that was how I grounded myself in my day. These days, a little bit different. I, uh, I usually wake up, have my coffee while I read. Um, I haven't been journaling very much lately. I just haven't felt the need. 
been doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will do some uh, a gratitude practice. So I'll just write down a few things that I'm grateful for. I come into my office and look at my whiteboard and I look at uh, what I've done, what I have to do that day. And I'll start chipping away at a few things, have my breakfast, go for a walk, come back in, start my work day. My evenings um, are a little bit more cramped. So because I'm still working full time, I have to be in the office at least nine to three. So I usually end up working till about four. So I'm working nine to four. At lunch, I go for a walk. So that's two walks. As soon as I finish work, I check my emails and I check my DMs to make sure that my coaching clients are taken care of. I eat my I eat my pre-training meal and then I'll read again. I'll get some I'll get some additional reading. Whether it's research, whether it's for pleasure, I do a little bit more reading to kind of just calm myself down a little bit before before training. Then I'll walk downstairs, warm up, train. Usually done training by about 7:30. Uh, then I will come upstairs, eat, shower, and then I'll get about two hours more work done, whether it's programming, client check-ins, uh, things of that nature, and then go to bed around 10. So I would love to be able to, and this is something I'm going to do once I have a little bit more time and I'm not working full-time, uh, implement an evening routine where I wind down a little bit better because the, the I actually have trimmed down my, I only train twice a week during the week. And I moved my two other training sessions to the weekend because I found my sleep was just getting smashed. Mm. Like training that late at night, yeah. I, was, I wasn't able to fall asleep well and my sleep quality was shit, my recovery was shit. So um, going from laptop to sleep is better than going from training to sleep. So I would love to have another buffer in there going from laptop to reading to sleep. Mm. Um, but there's a few, and then on top of that with my routine, I also have a few non-negotiables every day. So these are things that I have to do every day, no matter what. Um, and again, it's been, it's been changed and updated over time. But so right now it's, I need to read at least 10 pages a day. I need to walk at least 10,000 steps a day. I need to, before bed, I need to write down everything I want to do for the next day to offload it. I use my MetriLife app, which is the app I created. And then I make sure that I hit my macros because right now I'm trying to do a little bit of a body composition shift. And so I'm trying to be a little bit more diligent there. So that's five things I have to do every single day. And if I cover those five bases, I go through my routines. I'm good to go. I know that was a lot, no, but it, it helps me stay on point. Like I'm very much. I'm a big believer in Jocko Willing's theory of like discipline equals freedom. Yeah. So if I'm as disciplined as I can be with the things I can control, the things out of my control affect me less. Hmm. And that was the big take home when I started having anxiety problems, which I don't anymore. And I'm grateful for that, but I know it's because of how hard I've worked to get to this point. Yeah. And I, so- um, I, uh, I, I love it. I love, I love the whole process. And one thing I do love about it is, I used to be a very no plan, spontaneous, in the moment sort of sort of person. My girlfriend hates this now. Is that I'm I'm so like structured and diligent with everything. She's like, you used to be like so like so spontaneous and stuff. And I was like, yeah, but nothing got done. 
absolutely nothing got done. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, it was great when we were, you know, but it was like 10 years ago. Or so, but um, I was like, now so many things uh, are checked off the list. And like you said, when these things have, uh, are taken care of, all the other uncontrollables, are, 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 um, I guess there's much less stress about it. There's much more of a freer approach to it. You can adapt more quickly to them as well. Um, I do want to say thank you so much for sharing um and, and your openness on on actually going to counseling and thank you for your courage oh, to, yeah. to do that because so many people i think could benefit from that that do go through whether it's depression anxiety or any other sort of mental issues and they could go and ask for help and go and see somebody and get that shit taken yeah. care of you know there's been two two times in my life where i've been called to seek it seek help and the mm. first was when i was uh, in the process of transitioning out of strength and conditioning I was experiencing a pretty bad burnout. Um, the job I was working wasn't administratively set up for me to be successful. I was working like 70 plus hours a week. And then on top of that, I was dating someone in my hometown. So I was commuting about two hours every weekend back and forth, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it does add up. Um, so I'd be working like 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. five days a week. And then I would come home on the weekends. And I was burning out and I went to go see a counselor and she kind of let me know I was out of alignment and how to work through it. And then going through this divorce, I was called to it again to, to really check myself and, and, and learn about who I was and the motivations behind my decisions. And the catalyst for this, you're going to laugh. The catalyst for this was I bought a fucking sick ass truck. Okay. <laughs> yes. And uh, is it so awesome? Say, Was it worth it though? <laughs> and now it is. Yeah. It's the most expensive vehicle I have ever owned. It's more expensive than both of my parents' vehicles. Uh, it's probably the most expensive vehicle that anyone in my family has ever owned. And I could afford it. But as soon as I signed on that dotted line, in, in the person's office, I started having, I started sweating. I couldn't breathe. I was like, I need to go outside. So I went outside. I literally had a panic attack outside the car dealership by myself. And I had no idea what was going on. And that, that was kind of a red flag to me be like, okay, shit's going down. Mm. Um, I ended up calling our, our employee assistance program the next day. And they sent me up with a, with a psychologist. And I just started talking. I literally just started talking about all the things that were going on in my life. And she helped me realize that, you know, stress is cumulative. Nothing exists in a vacuum. And regardless of how many verticals you have going on in your life, every vertical impacts the next, right? Mm -hmm. If my personal life isn't going well, I'm not going to be able to function at work. I'm not going to be able to train as hard as I want because my recovery is impacted, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. So she's like, you need to find out where you're out of alignment. And the only way to do that is to ask yourself hard questions. Mm. So I made it my purpose since then to always ask myself the hard questions. And I really think that people avoid looking themselves in the mirror a lot because they're afraid of what they will see. Mm. They're afraid that they will see someone who isn't necessarily living up to the expectations that they previously had. Right? Like as corny as it sounds again, like, I feel like I say that a lot, but like if your 10 year old self looked at you right now, would he think you were cool? Yeah. I think my, I think my 10 year old self was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. My, my 10 year old self was this little chubby kid who loved playing basketball. Yeah. 
and like never imagined that he would be, you know, this big muscular guy with abs and a beautiful girlfriend and like made good money. So and doing what he loved every day and and helping so many people like that 10 year old kids going, Whoa. (laughs) So like, if you, (laughs) I I joke about it with my dogs. I'm like, I choose to wake up and be the person my dogs think I am every day. That's cool. Turn it into your your 10 year old self, right? Wake up and be the person that your 10 year old self would think was the, the coolest person alive. Yeah, that's cool. I like that 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 perspective that you and everyone can do that, right? Like everyone can do that. That's that's over ten years old, obviously. Um, <laughs> because uh, as you know, like kids are so innocent, like they don't care about you know how much money you've got or or anything of that nature. Like, what are you doing? Like, how are you making an impact? You know, I'm a I'm an astronaut and I live in Alberta, Canada, and live in this cool place. And you're like, this is the coolest thing in the world. I've got so much to look forward to. Yeah. rather than I'm an and, asshole and and you know therapy was really important to me because like it helped me realize that if I'm looking in the mirror and I don't like what I see I have all the power in the world to change that hmm. and that is so empowering you can look at that two ways you can look at it as I'm not the person I want to be fuck or I'm not the person I want to be let's go right like a call to action and every day when you wake up like i choose to wake up every day with a call to action to be the best version of myself possible and not because i hate myself because i love myself because i love me people talk about self-love and self-care fuck your bubble baths and pedicures man like pick up a barbell and get better Make your food, prep your meals, get to sleep on time. Like take care of your self care for yourself. Mm. You know? Yeah. That yeah. That's my hit home message for the podcast. Fuck yeah. And it's a powerful Fuck one at yeah. that. Um who who has been the biggest or at least one of the biggest inspirations that, that you've encountered in your life so far? And and what did you learn from that person? There've been a few, there've been a few. So, um, the first one that jumps out to me is a gentleman by the name of Todd Hammer. So Todd is, uh, a former collegiate strength and conditioning coach. He's worked at, uh, university of Pittsburgh, Marist college, George Mason. We worked together at Robert Morris university. He worked at George Washington university. Um, and then now he, I believe he works in the private sector now, and I don't actually know the specifics of his role, but he's still in Pittsburgh. He taught me so much about just being a good person and being empathetic and realizing that it didn't matter how much knowledge I had in my head. If I didn't actually care in my heart that no one would, would listen to me. He taught me so much about how to be a good person. And, uh, I still, I still quote him all the time. And like, I think, I think back, I'm like, man, I'm being so much like Todd right now. <laughs> um, the next would be, uh, my friend and business partner, Jay Nira. He has opened my eyes to a lot of different philosophical concepts. Um, and he's always asking questions. He's always seeking to learn more and, uh, working with him on our app, Matry Life has, really opened my eyes to different ways of looking at problems 
and uh and then yeah i think it'd probably be my mom or my dad like my mom my mom is very much that hard driving person who will always be successful no matter what she does mm. uh she also worked for the ymca for about 30 years um at, in like every capacity possible so that's like i grew up in a gym like i was in a gym in her belly she was teaching aerobics classes until like two weeks before i was born mm-hmm. so um i grew up in the gym and without her i wouldn't i wouldn't have pursued the the path that i pursued mm-hmm. uh, and then my dad immigrated to canada when he was he tried twice he came here as a refugee and then he was sent back and then he got, came back again during the lebanese civil war and uh he came here with like 40 bucks in his pocket and he managed to build an incredible business. Um, at one point, he had like 107 different investment properties, and he he put me through grad school. So like, that's to me to come in as a refugee from war and then build a build a life, build a family, and yeah, he's he's a really cool guy. Yeah, it sounds like it too. It sounds like it. We've uh, we've covered a lot of different touch points on today's show. Mm-hmm. I I was hoping what we can do is basically take away two three points that that people can implement in their lives today in order to optimize it what are two or three points that you think people can go okay i can do this today Uh, number one would be to take a good hard look at the motivating factors behind your decisions and that could be anything from what you put in your mouth to what you do in the gym to what you do at home to how you behave with your loved ones take a look at why you are doing things. And in my opinion, the best way to act in the world is to act in a way to add to the positivity around you. So if you're gonna buy your girlfriend flowers, you buy them simply to see her smile, not because you want that social credit and that return on it. So that's number one. Number two would be to pick something you wanna do and invest your whole self into it. Do not leave any room for questioning. When I bring clients to meets, I want them to have no doubt in their mind that they did everything in their power to be successful at achieving their goals. And if they didn't achieve those goals, then they know that their approach was incorrect and we can change it moving forward. But it wasn't because of a lack of effort. And number three, I would say do something that scares the fucking shit out of you yeah, every day I don't care what it is do something every day that scares the shit out of you hmm. and it can be something little like <laughs> I think today I uh, today I was deadlifting and it was like it just, it's scary it scares the shit out of me to deadlift heavy it was pulling close to 600 pounds for reps it's not comfortable but it scares me and I feel like I got better because of it. Right? Yeah. And number four, get under the fucking bar. Get under the fucking bar. Yeah. You pussy. <laughs> That's it. Um, what, as we're, as we're making a bit of a close on this podcast, yeah. what is, what's next for you? What does 2021 have in store for, uh, for Metro Life, for Coach's Corner? 
Yeah, so I plan to uh, expand my own coaching business first and foremost. Uh, now that I'm not going to be working full time, I'll be able to take on a few more clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently working with two mentorship clients. I'd like to get that up to five. That's on, on the personal side. Uh, Coach's Corner, I'm looking to build that and, and continue to spread the word about what we're trying to do. Uh, right now, we're at over 50 or 60 videos populated on the site. We're doing two live Q&As per week, at least three pieces of educational content per week. Um, and we have a, a member discussion board that's that's growing in popularity. So there's a lot of interaction and we're building a great community. Uh, and then I'm also building out a group coaching uh, program with my friend Andrew Serrano, who's joined me uh, with Master Athletic. Uh, so we'll be hosting a library of programs that people can follow and jump jump between. We'll also have a member community there uh, where people can interact and we'll be hosting office hours three times a week. And then with MetriLife, we're kind of at an impasse. The, the product is great, um, but we're bootstrapped. So any... Uh, funds that go into it are from myself and Jay and we're looking for some assistance so if anyone listening here is looking at an investment opportunity with an app um, we're pretty excited about the product uh, as it it relates to improving well-being uh, looking at the considerations of mental health and lifestyle for how it's impacting your day-to-day well-being uh, we think we have the best product in the market and we'd be happy to discuss it with anyone who's interested. Beautiful. And all that will be linked in the in the show notes below. And where's the best place to reach out and, and follow your journey? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Paul Oneid, P-A-U-L-O-N-E-I-D, or at Coaches Corner U, or at Met, uh, Master Athletic. And all of that, again, will be linked to the show notes below. Guys, you just have to click on that link. It'll take you straight through to to Paul. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure, man. Thanks so much for having me. That's a wrap, ladies and gents.